This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In lots of 2011 movies I associate with being really forgetful, like forget forgotten. I think mm. salmon fishing in the Yemen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see? Yeah. What did that was that was that nominated? No, it was Ewan McGregor and Kristen Scott Thomas, and they were salmon fishing in the oh, end. So it's a funny title, that's yeah. why. And uh, <laughs> of, of the skit of like the films that got gone. Why does nobody remember salmon fishing in the Yemen? <laughs> we had at the pub quiz it was so great wasn't it a really warm toasty feeling we've got some lovely correspondence that we'll read out later from people yeah getting in touch about it it's the pop kitchen 100 pub quiz fully aware that most of our listeners won't have been there (laughs) yeah (laughs) because it was you know not everyone lives in london and not not everyone lives in the country who listens to it and full apologies to that but um those who were able to go and represent the wider I could have done. Oh, you know what it was kind of like? I thought it was kind of like going to our wedding, but we didn't know who got invited. Because we sort of did that thing where we circulated. And what was great is we got to say hi to basically everyone, I think. Yes. Which was yes. really cool. And sport, you were all lovely. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like we were going around circulating like the bride and groom. Yes. But, and everyone was like, hi, thank so you happy for, for you. And we were like, oh, thank you for coming. But like we had never met them. Yes. But right, some so. of them I had, I recognized when they said their name. I was like, oh, you're that person, that person. Yes. Which was nice which to see them out a did freak them out a little bit. I, I agree. That was it was very touching and it was lovely that all of them were all of you guys were just so pleasant. Yeah. What I enjoyed was we had to put a lot of people, a lot of teams together, people who were in twos and threes, we combined yeah. them. And actually in doing so, we did create the winning team. Yeah. And they everyone, every team I saw that we merged was getting on so great. And especially when they won. Yeah. I, I think it was very heartwarming. It was just a really nice night nice that lots of fun reactions and people finding out the answers head to us sorry head to our socials if you haven't seen the highlights there's photos we've got a whole video highlight Mm -hmm. of the whole thing and uh it was just a pleasure to get out of the studio totally to get out in the real world and meet people you're right and shake hands put Mm -hmm. faces to names and come people come up to us and say my mate was genuinely so happy that he knew exactly how many marvel films had been between iron man and captain marvel oh really (laughs) like later he was like going to people like guess how many because i know guess (laughs) go on (laughs) including (laughs) i I got a video of me someone got a video of me reading out that question and if you zoom in there's a guy like right behind me he's going (sighs) 
hands in his head, like he's thinking, like, fucking Shang Chi and yeah. the Eternals. Like, what? <laughs> All the ones you forget. So we will obviously. It was a great experience, and yeah. we had a great. It was a great. It felt like our birthday, our birthday really week, was, our yeah. hundred episode week, and we, you know, we've got plans for the future, and we hope to. I'd know, love to do another one, a little yeah. bit bigger, a little bit bigger. But well, it's given us confidence, so it's 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 yeah. opened up something new. It's the beginning of something. So Off thank you very much. On yeah, tour, Wembley. Yeah, Madison Square Garden. I was with I was with James in the tour bus. Yeah. He was driving me crazy. Yeah, Northern accent to I guess I invoke just, Oasis. Yes, kind of nineties yeah. rock and roll documentary. <laughs> yeah. He was driving my head. Now that's because Gary, Gary Marlowe, the manager, like the jaded manager in like the, yeah. the jacket smoking. Yeah, there was no stopping him. James Briefel haven't heard yeah. that name in a long time. Yeah, yeah. And that was that. So thank you very much, everyone, for coming. And thank you just in general, everyone who gave us nice responses for yeah. our, our birthday week, our 100 episode week. And now, episode 101. We can say that now. When that finished, I was like, God, that took, on, took up a lot of brain space in my head. What, with the just quiz? Thought, oh. Oh. Even just because we, we chose it because it was a really great thing to do, but also it was what we thought would be a slightly workload, less workload intensive thing to do to celebrate. But... Huge. All the time, just a pub quiz, and you know, very tempting to just like chat GPT the devising of the quiz, but we yeah. didn't. We genuinely wrote every single question, but we also had to rebrand ourselves. This is at a time also when both of our jobs were very, very busy. It's a busy time, yeah. So I took, I, I don't know, we both sort of, I took, a, I took two days off after yeah. the, after the quiz, and I and I was really appreciative. And I went to a tea room. Oh, I, I saw, I saw, yeah, a really nice good yeah. one, a really good one. That yeah. really, I was like, got you going, please. And to coincide, what was better is that I went on Instagram on my day off, and who has posted a video on his day off as well, but Richard E. Grant doing <laughs> like just capturing <laughs> the vibe perfectly. I was like, I have to send this to James because Richard E. Grant's there, like having basically just come out of the pool in some sort of um, spa in, in Somerset breath, for some reason, and he's just like, wonderful day off, <laughs> Somerset. <laughs> And then he's just sort of recline where he goes, pool, hot tub, oh, yeah, boy. And it's like, he's filming himself and his phone camera's there. But he's not really looking at no. it. Sort of, the view ahead of him is just, got to But I was like, Richard, I, I know how you feel. <laughs> yeah. I'm also on a day off and I really could do with the, the R&R. He's brilliant, but he's just such an odd presence on social media. Who, yeah, he, but I, but I like the fact that he's made it his own. Yeah. No one else makes content like Richard. There's no Grant. like niece or nephew to be like, can we just talk about the videos yeah. you're putting out on Instagram? It is just have a wonderful day. Anyway, um, that was a great week we had. But there are as we've mentioned for a few weeks now. Mm. This is a really exciting time. Oh, there right. are loads of films coming loads out. Loads of films. If and you didn't, because um, last week for episode 100, yes. we didn't talk about films, but if you did catch our bonus episode, we talked about Anatomy of a Fall and Bottoms. So we didn't leave you without films. So go and check those out if you haven't already. One so. of the most, like, two very talked about films, one that really went up there for you in, like, one of the best films you've yeah, seen yeah. this year. Up there. And Bottoms, one of the biggest disappointments I've heard. Mm, go Just, and see it. Go and see the, the Go see the review. <laughs> I mean, if I, you hear my review, I'm not saying go <laughs> yeah. see it. Um, but this week, mm. we have... Uh, two big films, James. Two big films. We've got David Finch's new film, The Killer, and also, Mo is it Molly or Holly? I think it's Molly, Molly Manning. Manning Walker's How to Have Sex. Not to be confused with Mia McKenna Hughes, who's the lead actor, actress in it. Which Bruce. I get confused. Mia McKenna Bruce. Bruce. Is it Bruce or Hughes? Hughes? Is, that Bruce? is it Hughes? It Maybe it's Bruce. a typo. It is Bruce. <laughs> Bear right. with us. Let's start that it's again. It's me and McKenna Bruce. Basically, there are two big films, David Finch is the Killer and uh, How to Have Sex, which I don't know how big that's been talked about outside of the UK, but here in the UK, that's a really hot film right mm. now. It's like this year's After Sun. There's lots yeah. of chatter about it. Trey it's a British. Movie release. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we talk about those. I 
am seeing these films, but I haven't seen them in time for this episode. So yeah. we'll review them now. But as with all, all of these films, we will then do a spoiler discussion. Yeah. Numbered week. episodes, always spoiler free. Uh, in particular with How to Have Sex, I'll be doing a very, very light touch on spoilers because I think people should go and see it. I've already said to George, you should see it, which yep. I know you are. We, we should wait to discuss it in proper detail <laughs> yeah. when we can talk about the plot and when you guys have seen it too, because I think basically everyone should go and see it. And, and you advised people should not look up what the plot is. Yeah, I, don't, I, just I don't know don't, the plot. I just know it's meant to be good. I, I really, I think I could guess roughly what, what sort of the themes are about, but I'm so glad I didn't uh, expose myself to a, a, a spo- even a spoiler-free think piece about what it was trying to do. Yeah. That's all I'll say, but I'll get into it in my review later in the episode. So, should do on with those reviews. I really tried to perfect my Fassbender impression whilst watching the film. Well, not perfect. Well, you know. Start- <laughs> It's hard to really sort of. It's it's, it's harsh. It's got more gravel in it. I I I picked a line, and it's it's. I find music a useful distraction. I find music. I find music a useful distraction. Useful distraction. There's sort of a Dutch. Hardness. That's it. You're gonna get. That's it. You're gonna get the more. I'm European. turning it up to show Dutch. the Dutch. There's sort of a Dutch. I, a focused tone mm. keeps the inner voice from wandering. And then I was like, James, concentrate. Let's yeah. talk about this. On your, on your Don't just watch a film to get the impression. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I really feel like with The Killer, David Fincher set out to make a David Fincher film. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, all these films are David Fincher films. But if you were to look at, if, if this film was to join David Fitch, Fincher's film library on a, on a beautiful bookshelf, yeah. it would just perfectly slot in. It wouldn't stand out. Mm. It wouldn't, I don't mean that in sort of terms of quality. I mean in terms of themes. It, it's very familiar Fincher territory, starring Michael Fassbender as the killer, mm. no, no name. Uh, Tilda Swinton's in there and Charles Parnell. Uh, based on a graphic novel, which you really do feel it is very graphic novelly. Um, and yeah, like, like very much of a David Fincher film, which I'll get onto, you can see within that the likes of Seven, Gone Girl, mm. Zodiac, Fight Club even. Um, and Fassbender, who we know has returned from his little hiatus where I think he had some kids, yeah. he's also become a race car driver. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. like, See it, previous TikTok for, for discussion about that like, and episode. Super happy for Michael Fassbender and also just like really glad to have him back because he's great. And we've seen Fassbender do this very steel-faced focused hardened clinical style of acting before like in a number of films yeah. you go from like alien prometheus to even magneto yeah. shame even his character in glorious bastards like mm-hmm. the undercover mm-hmm. very focused very intentional and of all of those i would say this is the most steely michael fassbender performance he is shark-like like you know that vacant shark-like mm. stare predator like kind of like a t-1000 with a consciousness mm. i thought like you know moving through people but we have his internal monologue and he's obviously mm. sentient like a like a human being uh, rarely blinking do you remember like a few weeks ago i told you i watched this featurette about how finch was like meticulously planning the blinks oh yeah and when they would michael happen Fast- michael fassbender blinked wrong something yeah. again like like a shark you, they don't blink they sort of like have this vacant mm. dark-eyed stare and he's always been really good for that it's just very good at playing someone with a very well-held nerve mm. Um, and so the killer opens during one of his hired assassinations. And as he does with every job, he has planned every single part of it meticulously. He's accounted for every variable. He's considered every angle. He's almost uh, like meditative, but sort of incredibly focused at the same time. Um, and he's, he has this uh, costume that evolves, but it, it has the same through line. And it's the, this white bucket hat 
and these dark aviators, which he sort of tells tells the in, in the opening scenes, uh, obviously wants to disappear. And it's kind of, I, I saw one time a German tourist dressed this way, and no one ever wants to talk to or spot or look at or engage with a German tourist. <laughs> so he's found this this disguise mm. that he can use anywhere, and nobody wants to speak to him. And it, in a cold environment, it's with sort of a white jacket and the glasses. But in a warm one, it's slightly different, and it's always mm. the same idea, but it evolves as and when, where he needs to be in the environment, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and what should be said is that Fassbender barely speaks in this film. 95% of the dialogue on this is his internal monologue. Mm. He does speak, but it's maybe a handful of times. And what you hear during basically the entire film is his planning and most importantly, his process and justification or lack thereof mm. of the work that he does, which is killing. Um, and he justifies his actions you know, by noting how many people are born and die every day mm. and that me killing someone today is really just a drop in a much larger bucket of death. And how could you sort of look mm. at one thing when really it's like this? And every time he goes to make a kill, he recites these uh, sh chakra-like statements to himself where he very kindly says, this is what it takes forbid empathy, mm. trust no one, breathe, calm. This is what it takes. My process is logistical. Mm. This is what it takes, like the perfection. Like the slam poetry by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. sorry, <laughs> just the way you're doing it. This is this logistical. Is, this, this is, is my process. My process is purely logistical. <laughs> sorry. I'm really trying to get it. Uh, and so in this opening assassination of the film, something doesn't go to plan, that's right. all I'll say. And from that, there are a series of ramifications that the killer now has to resolve. It involves... Globetrotting around the world, seeking information from one person to the next, mm -hmm. trying to find out, killing a lot of people. And it is essentially a one-man show. Michael Fassbender's in basically every shot. And this whole series of events makes him sort of call into question why he does what he does and him insisting that nothing is personal, mm. right? And... What I like about it, it's always great to have access to the mind of a very detailed perfectionist in film. You know, hearing someone who's a lot smarter than you mm -hmm. do a lot of things you never would have thought of. And of course, like, we're not killers, so we don't ever try to do that. No. But it's nice to see, or it's interesting to see someone <laughs> who does do that to be like, God, yeah, that is how you could mm. do it. That is like how people behave and what they do. And that's really engaging. And it's really, it really draws you in. And Michael Fassman is really good at doing that. Um, and I think what makes the film the most interesting is that I feel like, Fincher, who we know, we don't know, but we know of as being very meticulous, mm. very detail oriented. There's like loads of actors who've come out and said that he's brilliant, but he likes to do 80 plus takes in a single moment to get the scene exactly right. And in his films, we've known him to tell stories about obsessive perfectionists mm. who like to get everything right. And you very much get the sense that he is exercising his method and representing that obsessiveness of a character on mm. screen. So there's this nice little sense of the art really feeling like a product of the artist, mm. which I think is always quite interesting to see a character on screen and the creator sort of presenting a way, mm. but then really believing that this is how you get, you, that something is achieved. An obsessive film made by an obsessive yes. uh, director. Yeah. Totally. Uh, it's got incredibly even pacing. Nothing is rushed. Uh, you've got a score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Rosh. Uh, Eric Masterschmidt. Who, uh, Eric, thank you, Rosh. Uh, Eric Masterschmidt, who's the cinematographer of Gone Girl, oh, yeah. shot it. It's edited by Kurt Baxter, who cut the mm. social network. Very accomplished, like high end, this is mm. what it takes, like professionals all executing. And uh, what I thought was quite interesting structurally is that the character of the killer 
doesn't tell the story at all, but he progresses it very much like a sort of very true protagonist. Mm. So he's not really telling you what's happening, but he, the plot moves through him, and you start the film with very little information, and it goes on, it becomes a lot clearer, and this, you get to learn about this dark, Fincher-esque world of killers and assassins for hire, and I thought it was almost a John Wick element of it, of there's this underworld of... Um, gunmen and this whole like structure happening, living parallel to the real world. You know, like that nice yeah. reveal of like all of these structures are in play, yeah, but we yeah, just yeah. really don't know about them. Um, it's definitely very violent, and the killer does some really horribly violent things that a lot of the time you're like, that's a horrible thing to do, and it's quite weird to follow this character mm. in a sense, want them to, to progress. Yeah. And I think some people might be a little bit at ease, but uh, not a bit uneasy by seeing what's happening on screen mm. and being like, am I meant to be rooting for this character or supporting them through it? But I actually think that's the, I think the film wants you to feel that and I think that's why it's actually successful and how matter of fact it is I do wonder if the methodical structure of the pace could have done with a very distinct change mm. and that it could have benefited from something gear. else a change gear because I think the ending kind of sneaks up on you mm. even though I do think the film's really good but when I think about this film I think about the fact that it is extremely well executed and when you start describing art as being well executed mm. I think I think it's a good thing I think mm. you're describing films like this yeah it's like clinical yeah it's what i describe as like clinical hard edge really precise filmmaking but does it lose a stickability upon you with if it doesn't have just the just a hint of peppering of like emotion in there because i'm getting the sense from everyone who's seen mm. it is like they say the same thing well presented well executed but i don't get i don't get the impression that anyone's gone oh yeah the killer i love the killer everyone goes mm, yes the killer yeah mm. i liked it I think part of what makes it interesting is the art of the artist side of it. Okay. And that when it comes to a conclusion, you're like, like you've seen if someone very professional execute something to the highest standard on mm. screen and you almost feel like I am a target for this filmmaker and his mm. very professional <laughs> like editors mm. and so, who's also been brought down this, this story in a very methodical yeah. way. I do think it's interesting. I th like I said, pacing-wise, it's so precise. It's like I can imagine David Finch is one of those guys that like irons his bed sheet on the bed <laughs> and like he has his eyes right up to the thing and he's sort of like doing that. You really get the sense that that's, that's who this is of. Wow. okay. And it's, it's interesting. It's cool. I do, I do like it, but okay. it's, it's, it's so different to mm. so many other films that are great this year. When you said that it's very clearly a David Fincher film, yeah. is that ever so slightly a problem? Is it, is it so David Fincher that you're like, it's almost not a parody, but like I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not surprised by anything. I can see your style and everything. I can just feel you here. I wish you would just have given me something new about yourself. Not for me, new. no. I yeah. think it's David Fincher being Is he like, playing it safe? Maybe for him, but he's mm. he's leaning into it so much. He's almost like, this is how I like to do it, and this is why it's good, and this is why it's oh, okay. right. That's, That's why this execution's good. I do I do actually think the film's really good. Okay. I don't overall have negative feelings for it. I'm more just like overwhelmed by how, how clinical it was. Mm. And the, 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 the execution of the film, the presentation of it is clinical, and so is the story. Mm. So okay. it's just an all in all, all fires blazing. Like, here's how I like to do it, and here's what it is. Mm. Okay. So I, think it's a, I think it's a successful film. I really do. Okay, well, I'm seeing it this week and we'll talk about it next week in spoiler yeah. terms. But if you've seen The Killer, which people have, it's been out for a while now. It's out on the 10th of November on Netflix. Mm. And if you have seen The Killer, please write it in and let us know your thoughts and we will discuss them in that spoiler episode. When I say like you can see lots of David Fincher in this David Fincher film, it's like there's a, like the narrating is very similar, not so much in tone, but to the 
the narrator from Fight Club narrates. Right. that slightly world cynical. Yeah, yeah. Look at all these people. Not quite to the level of Fight does Club. Does Ben Affleck like narrating Gone Girl? I think he does, doesn't he? Like, yes, I just want to crack he does. Head in. And then you can see like the dark obsessiveness of something like Seven, mm. uh, like the real the style of Gone Girl, Zodiac. even Zodiac. Like, it's all just very much there. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's a criticism to say it falls so neatly in with yeah. the rest of his work. I like. And if you idea, like David yeah. Fincher, I think there's so much to enjoy I think there. Also, that idea you just said of instead of trying to like. Deliver something new. It's like no, I'm going to really lean into it and like yeah, max max out my style on something. Mm. I've got the David Fincher credit card. I'm going to spend yeah. it all. It's maxed it out. Yeah. You know, sometimes we say like directors do a film for them and a film for me. I really yeah. like a film for the, film, yeah, the audience for us. And it's like I really feel like David Fincher was like I'm really making the kind of film I want to make. Oh really? It's, yeah. Considering he just made Mank, which was also very much a film see. for him. Very much a film. For yeah. Him. But it's it, it's it's what you like about David Fincher. I think I really enjoyed it. Also, that's it's just that there. Just sorry that that pacing thing. Yeah. I think you you're a bit like it's so because it's so methodical. You're like oh okay, and okay. that's where and now it's over. I am interested to see it as well because of of, of following Mank, which was fine and okay mm. for. But it was Mank was such a swing in a different direction, and literally him trying something new. Right. That he's followed that with something that's like literally gone in the other direction. But yeah. like I said, I'm seeing it this week. We'll talk about it. Let us know your thoughts as ever. That was the killer. So the two films I'm talking about this week are completely different. Mm. But I, um, after I saw How to Have Sex, which is the second film I saw after The Killer, uh, you know, I was like, oh god, they're so they're so different. But I enjoyed them both, and it's really interesting to talk to have the chance to think about them and talk about them. And uh, I'm I really annoyed that I can't remember who said this, but it was a couple of weeks ago I saw a clip on TikTok and a famous writer had said that narratively as a narrative tool, uh, a fight scene and a sex scene uh, are used in a lot of the same ways. You've mm. got two characters with the raising of tension or conflict or romance mm. that come together in a moment in time, mm. have an altercation that affects both of them in different ways, and both of them leave change from that altercation, mm. and there are ramifications as to what happened. Yeah. And I thought it was quite it's interesting. It's like fights and sex scenes or romance, they're used in the same way to tell stories. And so uh, I had heard great things about how to have sex from the festival circuit, but mm. I didn't have a chance to see it. I think you had the same experience where you were like an either or. I, had to, I, I chose to see Maestro because it was the bigger film and look how that yeah. turned out. Yeah. George's Maestro review is available to yeah. listen to. Uh, so this is the directorial debut by Molly Manning Walker who shot Scrapper, which I saw mm. earlier in this year, which I actually really liked. And I could see like a lot of stylistic uh, parallels to this film. Um, so this film is all about a group of girls who are 16. George, can, uh, don't take this the wrong way. Did you ever go on a... I can't imagine you were the kind of guy who went on a Lance holiday, holiday to, 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 to Magaloo. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't, no. Uh, there, were, there were guys in my ear. Uh, yeah. I was... <laughs> In fact, most of my, of still, I'm friends with a lot of my guy friends from from school, and yeah. all of them, bar one or two, yeah, uh, who in, included me, went, yeah, yeah. to Zanti actually. Zanti, nice. Yeah, yeah uh, no, I didn't do any of that yeah. stuff. I did Iron Appa in 2012. Uh, yeah. You know, in many ways, it's my idea of hell. And at the time, I was just like, yeah. it's just really, it just, it does. As you said, <laughs> I James, can't it's not pitch made. you that. I don't mean that as an insult. It's more just like you know. Different things, different people. I mean, I, I've been to the full moon party in Thailand. Like, I'm not, I'm not averse <laughs> no, no, to a bit of neon no, paint. No, no, I'm not saying you are. It's more that I, I, I think I knew the answer to that question, yeah. but I was going to ask there you yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah Iron Apple 2012. James, I went to a tea room last week. So come on. <laughs> yeah. You're a turtleneck last yeah, week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so um, this film is all about three young girls who are 16 years old who decide to do what a lot of young people do at that age and go to one of those European party islands and they go to 
Malia, I think. Yeah, it was Malia. 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 Sorry, I said it weirdly. Malia in Crete. And the three of them are best friends. They've just finished their GCSEs and they've kind of got that, like, we're going to get our results. Yeah. Oh, my God, they're young. So the the lead, who's brilliant in this, Mia McKenna-Bruce, who I swear to God when I was watching it was like, they must be 18, 19, like, just adult. She's 26 now. Must have been 25 when she shot it. That, I'll get onto it. She's so good at playing a 16-year-old. But anyway, just, anyway, she's got, she's small and young, but she's got those like baby chubby cheeks that are just like baby face. Mm. Like, I bet she'll love you saying that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like, you know, <laughs> no, someone's know, got like young, yeah, yeah, yeah. young face. Youth. Youth. I was very depressed to hear they're in like two, three years younger than me. But anyway, they're all, go, they're all going to, sirens on our end, to celebrate the end of their GCCs, but also kind of get their results. Very high energy. Girls are very much like, you know, leaving the nest, going on a holiday with just each other, experimenting with, uh, expressing themselves in a more grown-up way, away from parents, drinking, trying on these costumes, literally of like older-looking clothes, but very much trying on adulthood mm. and what it means to be self-sufficient. Who am I in this new grown-up world? What are my opinions on sex? How do I approach these mm. social situations? And already within this idea of going on the holidays, this very, uh, like those holidays are overtly sexualized and if you've ever sort of been to those types of bars it's very much like sex acts on stage and it's who's gonna do this you know everyone's there to go and link up and get with each other and have sex um, isn't it it's all a bit (laughs) (laughs) said by someone that's what that's what looked that's what it looked like to me Totally. And um, there's sort of this, so Tara, who, who's the main character, is still a virgin at 16, but uh, her friend Sky, who's l- like not older, but is uh, gives off a much more mature energy for someone her age who has had sex, had sex many times. And there's already this idea of like, oh, we're in the supermarket. This massive bottle of apple sours is for whoever has the most sex on the trip. They move into their hotel room and there's a twin bedroom and then there's one room with a double bed. Oh, like who's going to stay in the double bedroom? Because whoever's having the most sex should probably have that. So already there's this impetus mm. in an already what you would consider like normal non-sexualized friendship between friends. That now there's this pressure of like, are we going to have sex? Who's going to have sex? How many times are we going to have sex? Am I going to lose my virginity? How? And that's also like how to have sex is like something they would have Googled before they went on the holiday. It's like, how do we even do it? Um, and so what happens is they're, they're in their villa on their balcony. And whilst they're like, you know, waking up for their first night on the villa over from them is a group of northern boys who they just end up speaking to. And of course, they go for pre-drinks and they drink and they end up spending like many days of the holiday together. And the film goes on to be a very, very interesting coming-of-age tale all about this very vibrant, skittish, often comedic story about the power and influence of peers and friends Mm. and how important that is and how many things that are said can be misunderstood Mm. and how many things can really like weigh on someone and how important the opinion is of someone you know. Um, And I just think... It was really, really powerful. I think in the first half, I was sort of like enjoying it. And it's very sort of, I was very aware that these people being represented on the screen are definitely not me. But it was towards, let's say, the last 20, 25 minutes where the film had a really powerful effect on me. And I really understood what it had achieved. And you know, from the hour after leaving the screen, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it really stuck in my head. And I was like, oh, that's actually really really powerful it's very effective it's very sad and it just i think walker has just a really great handling of a complicated tonal range and i I don't want to talk about what happens because i think people could should find it out for themselves but 
I think sometimes when you when you think about a story that's very personal or something that's telling uh, something about things that have really happened to many people, it can be quite hard to articulate it in words and to describe a feeling over prose or narrative. But what I think this shows is that you can use cinema in a really effective way to show someone exactly how you feel without the use of dialogue mm. and to actually really effectively put someone who's not the people represented on screen in their shoes to the point where it's really, really powerful. Mm. And it's like, I have nothing in common with these people in my part of my, my life compared to theirs. But oh my God, do I feel sadness and sympathy mm. and empathy for mm. what has happened. And it just, just brilliant. And like, to me, I was like, yeah, that's why cinematic storytelling is mm. so powerful. And if you, you might not be able to, uh, I'm not saying the film isn't articulate. I mean that one might not be able to articulate something that's happened to them, but this film is so good at telling you why it's important. And that's mm. why I think it was just really, really powerful. So James has been light on very light. really getting into there because he's aware of the fact that I'm seeing it and the, and as you say you want people to yeah. go in and just kind of see it for themselves. So I believe that once we once I've seen it too, we will, we will really get into this. It. Really deserves a discussion of like the moments and the mm. interactions and like mm. especially the last 25 minutes mm. and le less of what we think of it, but like how it made us feel and why I think it's an effective story mm. that's told. Um, and then just other things, you know, like it, what, what it does really well is that like nightclubs and specifically that like Euro Island party mm. holiday of like bright pink and yeah. the blue Gatorade colored oh, sand yeah. bucket. It's all bright and colorful. And it's amazing and stimulating. And you're having the best time with your friends. But all of a sudden nightclubs can go from being brilliant to like, oh my God, terrifying. everything is yeah. awful, terrifying, overly stimulating, loud, can't oh, yeah. breathe, can't think. And it's so good at like portraying the two mm. sides of that. And like what can be a really sweet romantic interaction can just become sour so quickly, especially mm. for young people who are seeing like this, again, like a really unnaturally overly mm. sexualized environment that like yeah. in the UK, you don't really encounter people like performing sax acts on stage. Mm. No. It's like quite an interesting one. I think that I'm interested to, I, I, I mentioned earlier about whether or not it's got like a, a buzz outside of the UK. Yeah. But I'm interested in that because I look at the premise, I look at the poster, I look at the, you know, the description. We've described it. I'm like, yeah, it's so British. Like, it's really it doesn't happen in the it doesn't happen in the land of the UK. But no, it's this a British this film. British culture of like 100%. going flying out to a European island and yeah. you know um, and just get party island and just getting yeah. trashed. But also like I'm trying to think when I've last seen that on film, and I think it's like the In Betweeners movie. Which like the whole, gonna bring the whole yeah. thing of the in between his movie is <laughs> that, yeah. and, like, and they send it up. Which so is the only well. film I can remember that's actually depicted that style of like European holiday recently. Yeah, that kind of lads lads yeah. on tour kind of a very like sort of pocket of English culture that's quite un underexplored. And they so, and they do it and they send it up very well in the in between. Oh yeah, they, they, really they made well. you realise the awkwardness, the silliness. And then there is the element of that, like you know, like how dirty their flat yeah. is and sleeping on the floor and ending yeah. up in the pool. But like a friend of mine the other day was like, "Oh, what's good? What's good out?" And I was like, "Oh, you should go see how to have sex. It's really good." And he and I he was like, "What's it about?" And I was like, "Oh, it's about these young girls who go on their first trip to Malia and like this sort of you know one of them's a virgin." He was like, "Oh, it's like a comedy." And I was like, "Oh, no." no. Yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, it has comedic elements, yeah. to be fair to it, but it's not like cool. an in-betweeners style. Uh, yeah, 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 it's not that at all. Uh, but yeah, just really interesting. And again, as always, I really want to hear what people, what, what people's reaction has been mm. to it, because uh, I think it deserves discussion. So for when we do do a spoiler conversation, which will likely be next week, yeah. send in your thoughts if you've had the chance to see it to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sorry, also, I know this is a film podcast, yes. but the Beatles have a new song out. Yeah. It's so good. Is it really have good? Have you heard it? No, I haven't, uh, but it's I, really, really I heard good. about it. It's really excellent. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's melancholy and sad. Oh, and when wow. Paul comes out and he says, you know, this is the last, it's the final Beatles record, you know. <laughs> and you hear it and you're like, yeah, man, this is, uh, this is it. And also, just to clarify some yeah. things, because people heard... Oh, AI, and they thought, well, well, they can do anything now. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, just to clarify, it's not like Paul McCartney said, hey, Siri, you know, give me, give me a John song, will Rock you? Beatles yeah. tune. It was like, the, the, it and already... Siri's like, well, what I've got for you is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what they, what they had, here's the story. I'm going to tell you, actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, John Lennon, uh, John Lennon took a break from music and he was raising his kids in, 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 in New York and uh, living with Yoko. But he was still creating demos on cassette tapes, recording things. Right. Anyway, John Lennon gets shot in 1980. Very sad. And then in like the early 90s, George Harrison is talking to Yoko (laughs) about like they're remastering some old Beatles tapes, whatever. And Yoko's like, I think I have something for you. And she has a cassette from John Lennon that Mm. says for Paul. Right. Whoa. And on it were three tracks that John Lennon had recorded. Right. And that pretty explicitly with the intent purpose of giving it to Paul. Right. And they rem- they 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 got two of them, and they were able to polish it off and play a song with it. And they released the three of them. This is in the mid nineties now, nineteen ninety five. Wow. They were able to play on it, record their three parts, and release two new Beatles songs in nineteen ninety five. But there's one last track called "Now and Then." Was so they couldn't separate him playing the piano over his voice, and it was just really shoddy. Mm. And they tried and tried, and they thought this is not going to work. George Har- um, George Harrison famously said something like. Like it's just it's it's rubbish. It's like it's just it's like pants, and they just abandoned it. And you know, time moves on. George Harrison sadly dies, and now it's like 2022. And after Peter Jackson did Get Back, yeah. in the process of making that movie, because he is so innovative in his team, they invented a technology which used a little bit of AI writing to isolate vocals from to separate things into wow. their own channels to basically Stamps. demix demix audio. Wow, and in so doing, they were able to separate the vocal from the piano and also use AI to basically kind of like fill match in the it. scratches. Yeah, yeah, match it, fill in the gaps. Yeah. So there, plain as day, you then got a crystal clear John Lennon audio. And that's wow. when Paul was like, well, hang on, you know, we can really do something with this. And um, there's a 12-minute featurette on it on, on Disney+. Oh, Plus. Really and it's good. really, really interesting. I, mean, I thought I should check that out. Actually. Yeah, 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 just for 12 minutes. And it tells yeah. you about how the song was made. And then Paul plays a bit on it. And then Ringo... So Paul's got new... new uh, Plays, plays new stuff on it and he, and he sings on it. Ringo sings on it and he plays drums on it. And they've been able to take the the attempts, the rehearsal attempts from, that George Harrison did in 1995 and put that on the record. So in a way, you kind of genuinely have... Splice through time. Splice through time. Of. All four Beatles playing together for one last time. And you hear the song and it's actually, it's a real grower as well. At first I was like, oh, that's, that's a good, you know, it's got a good hook. It's got yeah. a good tune. 
And then the more I think about it, I was like, yeah, it really hits the spot. It's kind of, it's it sad, charting? it's melancholy. It's on so, the radio. Is it charting? It's, well, it's on Six Music, which is what I listen to. Yeah. I don't know if it's chart. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if Greg like, James what, is going to be they, playing where, that. Shut up to. After Megan the Stallion. Yeah. <laughs> and now, hot new uh, band, fresh out of Liverpool, full lads, the. Beatles. Must yeah. <laughs> be checking my notes. Uh, but check it out. I, I, and as obviously as a Beatles fan, see. Oh, no, I'm sure Greg James likes the Beatles. No, like modern culture. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, as a Beatles fan, I, it was like I can't believe it. I got a new Beatles track yeah. in my lifetime, the final one, and it feels like a homecoming. I hope when these artists say, "Yeah, it's the last one," that it really is, because the number of times like this is it. Farewell tour, Elton John. He's done like four of those. I mean, I apparently caught his last performance, but I, I highly doubt. <laughs> I don't it know. Was. Yeah, I think I think uh, hopefully Elton. I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, like they're two down the Beatles, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they're two down. Uh, I think that it's cool to get a day. They're not going to play live. I mean, they, they, the Beatles as an entity doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, anyway. for now, like they'll be doing the holographic shit. Oh, they'll really get that. So. Oh yeah, they'll do it. Like there'll be a market in sixty years time to do like an ABBA voyage. Yeah, for, for the Beatles. Oh, but that's okay. I think yeah. I'm okay. I think I'm okay with that. You can literally within your headset go like Alexa, pl- put me in this concert, and then blah, I, I, I do generally think that with the Abba Voyage thing, that it is a, with a, be- a band as big as the Beatles and as iconic as the Beatles is like the next one along. Yeah, to totally. do that because like, have you been to Abba Voyage yet? No, but like, I've oh, heard ten out of ten things. Oh yeah, it's just board. great fun. It's yeah. a huge. Abba gig. Yeah, I've seen clips of people all in their seats dancing, going mad, and like. First of all, don't get a seat. Stand in the actual dance pit so you can actually dance to it. But yeah, especially when Dancing Queen kicks off. Oh my God, it's like, forget any time that you've heard Dancing Queen and imagine it it the most, like, it's like uh, the most emotional, like, heightened time. And you're like, (laughs) honestly, sometimes when you hear Dancing Queen in the right moment, you're like, fuck me, is this the best song ever written? The way it's that instant, that is like an immediate, that is an immediate mood changer. It's huge. It's, it's magic. And ask any <laughs> wedding ever. Yeah, yeah. What to end with. But but I do hear it and I'm like, wow, that fucking song. Dancing yeah. Queen, great. Best, one of the best gigs you've ever been to, weirdly, and it's like an empty stage. Well, for Abba, Abba Voyage. Which, oh, I'm putting words in your mouth, but like- uh, I didn't say. say it was one of the best gigs I've I know, ever been to. I know, one could say. One could yeah. say. One of the best live experiences you've had. One that's of the best, not yes. really li- like yes. live. Yeah. Anyway, that was some music chat. Yeah. Let's get on with some emails, shall we? Let's do it. As always, guys, if you wanted to send an email into the show, you can do by emailing into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We've received several this week, and I'm stalling so George can get them up and decide which one we're going to start with. George, over to you for the first one from whoever would be the first one. Will be, I can, James, I can tell you confidently, stalling for time here on the news. I can tell you. Really, it's it's quite extraordinary who wrote in. With confidence that the first email is from Ollie, Ollie about Letterbox, and he says, "Hi, George and James, James and George. As a stoic IMDb app user of eighteen months or so now, I increasingly feel like I'm missing out by not having Letterbox. As your good selves, well, just I actually, and many listeners frequently mention it. I want to know, am I actually missing out on something, and what are the advantages Letterbox has over IMDb? Well, George, please on that question first. Well, I've never had. I've got the IMDb app, but which is great for pure data. Yeah." For seeing casts, for seeing crew and all that stuff. Although Letterbox is really getting basically as good as, at that And IMDb is quite good to nose over things that people are in pre-production for. Like, yes. Oh, what's, the, it's what's ab- that? It's absolutely good. I remember like three years ago, be like, Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, it's called Sadie. If you want an objective, accurate representation of the data of the industry, that's pretty good. Yeah. 
But letterbox, the be- the reason that raises uh, is high is because I think the functionality, the whole social side of it, the fact that it, it it's the slight social media slant. You contribute to it. You add your own. Data, you contribute. Right? You follow other people. They follow mm. you. You post your reviews. You post your lists. Uh, I just think it's got a slightly nicer UX as well. Whereas like, when I go onto IMDb, it feels like going on Wikipedia. Yeah, I'm there for information. It's quite functional versus user friendly. Whereas I like there's something more curatorial about uh, Letterboxd. And community, sense of community more. Also, just shout out to anyone who's followed me on Letterboxd uh, because of this show, which yeah. I know we encourage people to do, but like I see, I get a notification every time I get a new follower. And I'm Guys, like, follow George thanks on Letterboxd, so much. at and George like, Pop. Just, I don't post that often because I like to save my review for the show. Mm, I don't I don't like to, I do, I embargo yeah, myself. Yeah. I don't like to go and give my- It's like, good because maybe, you know, I'd fucking have a word if you were getting all the all the content out early. Yeah. Sidelining me. <laughs> I'd be absolutely furious. So my solo career. I'm glad we have a good understanding there. But uh, so, Ollie, that's why we just said, it's got like a bit more functionality. Uh, it's also just so visual with the, every film is listed, just represented by its poster. Anyway. Yeah. On a related note, how many films do you currently have on your letterbox IMDb watch list i feel like you guys must be approaching the film <coughs> completed it mate territory of watching films that you're generally interested in love the show and best wishes p.s looking forward to hearing your end of year rankings we will do that yes we will pop kitchen awards are coming in hot this year guys of the of the films i've seen i've broadly agreed with your assessments of this year's releases with the exception of they clone tyrone which is like mm. which i thought was a lot more which i was a lot more positive about i've heard a few mm. people be really positive about oh, that actually more I than you really get, get it. it had my girlfriend and i really laughing and for me it found a sweet spot between silly and thought-provoking potentially a bit of a jordan peele light film but i don't see yeah. that as a bad thing um ollie on your question about how many films there are on our watch list well i'm gonna go to my letterbox watch list right now and I don't know if it actually gives you a number. Oh, it's a lot. My, I don't, mine is, my watch list is like, this, I make a new note but, almost every time. And but then, do you see why I like this box? Because it's so yeah, visual. Yeah, it's visual. Look at all those posters. Yeah, and it's really nice to engage with it. And like, oh, what do I want to focus on? Yeah. Totally. Anyway, at George Pulp is the, the, I like that you've got the whole kitchen imagery on there now. Anyway, Ollie, thank you very much for your email. This next one is from Erin, who writes in and says, double double bill suggestion and some appreciation. Hi, James and George. I've been meaning to email in for a while and have finally gotten around to it after hearing you mention the new chicken run recently. My suggestion to uh, to people for a double bill is always The Great Escape, 63, followed by Chicken Run. If you've seen them both, then you obviously know why this is a fun combo. Chicken Run basically being a spoof of The Great Escape. There's no need to read this on the podcast as it'll be too long. Well, here we are. But I thought I'm finally emailing in for the first time. I may as well let you know how I found you, brackets. It wasn't TikTok. Before starting uni this September, I spent my gap year working and then traveling through Southeast Asia and Australia. In Southeast Asia, I was traveling with my best friend, brackets, who became my boyfriend mid-trip. Oops. Love that. Oops. Oh, God. Accident. Um, But he went home after a few months. I continued through Malaysia, Singapore, and Australia alone for another two months uh, without my boyfriend there to chat with. When I spent all day traveling to a new place or sitting on a 15-hour bus journey, things got a bit boring. So I decided to look up film podcasts on Spotify. Brackets, I've always loved film. I'm uh, studying film production in uni now. Lots of podcasts came up, so I downloaded one podcast each from quite a few of the different channels. Some were good, some were average. But then I got to yours. I stopped testing out the other ones and just went through all of your back catalogue. Between when my boyfriend went home in May and when I arrived home at the start of July, I listened through all of your episodes. Wow. You kept me great company on my travels. Sometimes I would be on buses and trains all day and listen to the show the whole time, only taking breaks to charge my AirPods. That is amazing. <laughs> that is brilliant. And you know what's great about AirPods is that they charge in like five minutes. Yeah. So like I've been on planes where, this is a weird endorsement of AirPods. I've been on planes where I'm like really watching 
something and I hear the battery low, you can go to the toilet pee and you've got like another 30%. It's great. But, but also what I like about this story is that, you know, this uh, is Erin. Uh, it is Erin. We'll be watching, you know, the, the, the scenic views of Thailand, let's yes. say, passing by. And she will now associate that, yeah. that period of her life with our voices. I found barbarian. Yeah. <laughs> Bamboozling, baffling, and bloody I brilliant. I did that one time. <laughs> anyway. It was the Northman. It, it was the yeah. Northman, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, blah, blah, blah. It just became such a comfort listen for me straight away. Sometimes when I listen to episodes now, it makes me think of memories from my trip. It feels go. like you accompanied me in a way to all those places. I've had that before yeah. where I think back to random podcast episodes. Yeah. And I remember going to like specifically visit, visit Talia in Cambridge, like mm. coming back from from the train really late at night going back to my old uni i just remember like yes i would listen to that and i remember conversations from places in yeah. cambridge which is really strange um for example i was listening to the show whilst on a boat out to the great barrier reef or seeing monkeys on the steps to the batu caves in kuala lumpur brackets photo attached that's an amazing photo um or when i slept there it is she's with she's with a monkey on b-rail it's brilliant um or when I slept on the floor with this random woman's apartment in Singapore because all the hotels were too expensive. Fittingly, I became to date with the podcast episodes as well as on the... I came up to date with the podcast episodes as I was on the plane home from the trip. When I listened to it, I hadn't realized that it was your newest episode as I'd just been working my way up the list, not looking at the dates, so it really creeps up on me. When I realized that I'd finished the last of your back catalog the same day I got home, I thought it was very apt and a lovely end to my trip. Mm. Although I did go through, uh, go through some withdrawals, getting used to having to wait a week for each new episode rather than just having an endless supply on taps I'd grown used to. I know this is long, my apologies, but I just want to let you know how much I appreciate your content. You don't take things as seriously as other film podcasts and you just feel more accessible to your audience. Your passion for films is contagious. It made me so excited to start my uni course this September. Hope you're both having a great day, Erin, and then a monkey picture. Erin, that is genuinely one of the like, best emails I think I've ever received. It's really, really cool. It. That's really touched me. That's uh, yeah. so, so nice. And I mean, I love everyone's emails, don't get me yeah. wrong, but like that is so heartfelt and sweet. And Lovely. I you just, are... it, makes, it, makes us, it makes us want to keep doing it. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, I never want to disappoint people by just, like, running away and quitting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having a breakdown and leaving. No, it's like, you must be the reason that on our analytics, it's, like, UK 60%, yeah. US 30 and then, like, Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. And then there's, like, less than 0.01% for, like, a good 70 countries. Yeah, that yeah. must be you traveling, listening to Do it. No, know, it's really cool to see. I also, because uh, I remember Greg James talking about this once. Again, a second shout-out for Greg Ooh. James today. Random. Shout-out, Greg James. Um, about the intimacy of an, of an audio oh, basically totally. like we have been a, we have a company to your you ears. you know erin talking there about all those places she's listened yeah. to us we've been there like it's like we're sat, sat next to her yeah um i would just say my own experience in similarly so actually 10 years ago i was in erin's position and i i went traveling around yeah. well actually went to south america southeast asia nice. new zealand australia anyway by the time i got to I went from South America through New Zealand up. And by the time I got to Southeast Asia, by the time I was in Thailand and it was probably three months in, maybe four months in, I, this, just to context, this is 2013 and I was, I did not have an iPhone yet. I was, I was only, not even 19 poor, poor yet, thing. but like, no, no, no. But like people, it wasn't like, yeah, yeah, no, they were, they not were everyone had an iPhone yet. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially not at my age. Like, you could get it, but like, so I didn't have one. I just had a regular yeah. phone and I had an iPod, okay? Which I was very happy with. But by the time <laughs> I get to, um, and sure enough, like, I've, I've lasted on my trip by, um, well, actually, the benefit of not having a smartphone was when I had disconnection from social media. Totally, I, would, yeah. I, would just go on, I would just go to an internet cafe every, like, five days to just check up on things, right? Yeah. Anyway, I get to Thailand. <clears throat> 
I'm th- like three, four months in, getting a, little, getting a little bit homesick. I'm out of, I've exhausted all the music. I've exhausted all the preloaded podcasts I have. Mm. And I'm at this hostel and I'm talking to this German girl and I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a group of us talking about like home and stuff. And I was like, you know, what? I've got this 18 hour bus ride across the Cambodian border tomorrow. Like I need, I, I, I said, I really, really miss um, listening to this film show from the UK. It's called Kermode and Mayo and mm. it's, you know, on Five Live and I listen to it every Friday and like, I just haven't got it. And she was like, she had a laptop in front of her. She was like, why don't you just give me your iPod? And I can, I can, and she was like, she just, spot, she just you can her, download it from the internet. Around. She was like, just knock us, have take half an hour and get all of the episodes. And I did. And it honestly, like, yeah. I'm not gonna say it saved my trip because I had so much fun. Yeah, yeah. But for any long period of like mm. travel I had for the remainder of my trip, I had so because I'd accrued so mm. many by not listening. Yeah, I was then. I remember listening to like the Place Beyond the Pines review, yeah, like, things like that. And and um, you'll be able to date those reviews weirdly, like no other reviews can. Exactly. Just, like, oh, I remember yeah. sp- specific conversations that they were talking mm. about in specific locations and. Uh, she also gave me the soundtrack of um, uh, the perks of being a wallflower. Okay, and I remember just I was like, "This is great." Yeah, but um, I so I, when I heard your email, Aaron, I I kind of connected with that. But that's just so lovely. Thank yeah. you very much. Not to rave about podcasts too much, but you take them on the go, and that's what the appeal of them. You're consuming content whilst you're out traveling, whilst you're out working, exactly. studying, painting, whatever you do. You take them, and like no one can underestimate the power of the internet in that way. Of like, you put a thing out online. And maybe people see it, maybe they don't. But like, some, like yeah. someone somewhere potentially is is experiencing it in another part of the world. You have no idea the, how they're receiving it and what circumstances. Yeah. And then like, yeah, we do a little event with like less than 100 people. And it's like, oh, these are real people I don't know. Mm. It's very cool. It's very, very cool. Thank Aaron, you. thank you so much for your email. This next email is from Danny who says, Good day to you, fine gentlemen. I'm Danny from the lovely city of Leeds. Mm. Recently in the podcast, you have mentioned films being watched within the calendar year. I set myself. Oh yeah, we uh, uh, number of films. We number watch. of films. What? Thank you. Number of films watched in the calendar year. I set myself a challenge to watch a new film or film length documentary every day. Oh, that's a lot. That is a lot. That is a lot. Three hundred and sixty-five. If you miss one, are you then going to watch two? To define new, I mean no rewatches, and it can be something I've never seen before, so it's new to me. Yeah, I have the same criteria. Yeah. As of writing this email, I am on three hundred and sixty-three films slash documentaries of this year. So, so that's, that's more you've done than more. one a day. The latest film I watched was... Where are we? November. Yeah, you've got two more months. The last film I've watched was 1408. Oh, yeah. With John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. Which I thought was a brilliant film. It is scary, I think. I've not seen it since 1408, but like... Yeah. So I like to think that that I may be a contender for most films watched this year. 100%. Loving the podcast, guys. Sirens on my own. That you are. That There's is up you there. and someone who has to watch films as like an occupational, functional thing. Yeah. That's the only people I can imagine. Only people who work for the BBFC and they have yeah. to give the films the certification. Yes. See that, more films than you. I am doing this show and I want to say I'm going to be on set around 70 without having counted. I'm probably on that. I think you're less because I think you see there. fewer films than i do i think from logging it right i don't know why how no, many I, are you on hang on sorry i don't know why i say i think you see fewer films than me i think because you don't log them maybe your estimate is lower than that's why i meant to yeah. say i think your estimate i think you and i watch the same amount of films and this year oh no well it says 76 but some of those are rewatches so actually yeah no rewatches okay let me, i've got it right here for you james my new discoveries this year i'm at 58 58 yeah so maybe you're at, maybe you're in a bit more maybe you're in the 60s but I don't, I don't think you're. I don't think you're twelve. You're twelve uh, films December ahead of me. See where I'm at. But that's low for me. That's one of the lowest years I've ever had. 
Like I said, my TV watching since doing the show has plummeted. And the number of TV shows, I, as you guys know, I start and then just don't get around to finishing. I think... That's where I've really lost out. I'm watching a decent amount of films. It's just not... TV has slowed it slowed to like a one in one out policy. Like yeah, I only do one at a time. Yeah, and then I'm I like finished... I'm parking everything for like the one show I really want to watch, like a Severance or a House mm. of the Dragon or equivalent. I uh, just shout out to Ghosts, the show on BBC, which is like what such a like oh, yeah. a gem of mine. I love and like is a huge hit, but like not really. I think with a younger mm. audience, but like just love that show. Final season just came out. Me and Talia still slowly making our way through. We're in season two of Doctor Who, but like just really wow. enjoying oh, like really? maybe what one. maybe one a week. We're just yeah. Well, I yeah. told you we started season yeah. one, finished season one. Great ending to season one. Oh, I love the whole the whole. First, I I was we, I was exclaiming yeah. the entire episode be like this is the perfect episode of television it's a 10 out yeah. of 10 episode the of fact tv that you said to me you were watching season one again yeah. and i was able to name each episode yeah you, in did, that you season. did yeah and talia has a really great recall for doctor who i think that was the best i remember season she had two being DVD. a little bit not as good i, re- I love season yeah. three i, love I think the whole season three i remember season three is really strong so yeah. i'm looking forward to that as so we've got the end of season two is brilliant from what i remember and season three is a load of episodes is really good but season two is also great i'm really how just, great though is that um, it's really and, good uh, tv but i often think about this sorry huge doctor no, no, really, yeah. <laughs> the end of season four that series four, whatever that whole yeah, look, david tennant's last one yeah with yeah. donna what oh, brilliant amazing moving sad i remember ending. where i was when i watched that and i remember my mum was calling me for dinner and, I, and it was live on tv and i was yeah. like i i cannot yeah. Stop watching this, mum. Like, I'm just gonna have to be late. Like, no pausing. It's like it was yeah. on Treasure Tea. I was like, mum, I'm not leaving. Just eat without me. Yeah, that is such a such a brilliant thing. Are yeah. you gonna watch the you gonna watch the, the specials? The, some of the the anniversary ones with Tenant. Oh, uh, I should do. Yeah, I will. Yeah, do. I, think, I, will I do. think I'll give that watch. Yeah, I, I, I hope I'm, I hope it's not lost to me because I've not watched since Matt Smith. No, I mean, I, I'm hoping it's. I think to be honest with you, it's basically a massive attempt from my outsider's perspective. I've no, I've no knowledge that. about this, but it's clearly a massive attempt for the BBC to get people back on stock. Yeah, totally. we're literally brought back everyone's favourite Doctor. Yeah, brought Russell T Davies again, is which down. they did for the fiftieth, right? And Russell T Davies is also showrunning it now. Yeah. But like, but like, he's, yeah. But he, like, the doctor now is David Tennant again. Like, there, there are so many moments where I'm like, I'm again, we're really casually watching this for dinner. Where I look at that line that said, where the doctor says that thing about Rose when maybe everything is lost, and I'm like, oh my god, this is great. That's why you're watching. Mm. This is so so well written. That little moment and that thing is like stringing you along, Russell T. and it's Davies. just Russell T Davies, absolute genius. It's a good show. Like and again, that, that's a really lovely casual watch. We've so doing it with Peep Show before, but that's also the thing I might do with with Anna is watch. Breaking Bad and Medical Soul. I'd, I'd love to do because that I think, as well. Because there's no time pressure in the sense that yes. we're not rushing for spoilers or whatever. It's, it's, just... it's gone and the, the, the conversation has moved on. So you're not, you're not going to have to... Yeah. But do you know what I mean? It's just on your you own You can time. watch it and if it's a month before you watch the next one, that's fine. Yeah. Anyway, that was TV. Anyway, TV. this next one yeah. is from Beth, who writes in uh, Screenwriter Recognition. Hi, James and George. Love the podcast. I've been listening since the early 20s and been telling everyone I know to listen. Good on you, Beth. I wanted to know why you think screenwriters don't get the same level of attention as directors. I wanted to know why you think screenwriters don't get the same level of attention as directors. Yeah, I know directors have such high control over the vision of the work, but why does a screenwriter who makes the story possible never get much recognition? I think about this a lot. I think this about songwriters too. 
Also, uh, James mentioned a few episodes back that he wanted to watch Solaris. We recently read the novel for a book club, and one of the discussion points we came up was, do you think the point of it was to not understand it at all? We decided this is probably not the point, but didn't quite reach a consensus on what the point actually was. A few members watched the film version to try and make sense of the book, but their main takeaway was that it was not George Clooney's finest work. Oh, they, possibly they a the, worse project than Batman. So they Huge congratulations the, on episode 100. Beth. Beth, so you mean the George Clooney 2001 film Solaris? 2002 Solaris. I was talking about what that film is based on which is Tarkovsky Solaris which I think is a very very different film not to shit on that Solaris but the Tarkovsky Solaris is known to be like one of the greats Um, yeah I I really have been meaning to I'd love to do a a bonus on two Tarkovsky films if I can be bothered uh, and like tackle them in a way that I think would actually do them justice but that's a lot of work and um, they sometimes show them at the IMAX yeah so was it Solaris or was it Stalker I think Stalker Stalker just came on the BFI doing so many great things at the BFI Mm -hmm. IMAX in London right now Um, and it keeps prompting me to do it but again it's just like a timing thing I would love to do it I would really really love to do it I do Stalker and Solaris and talk about them both if I can Um, Beth on your question about why screenwriters aren't given as much credit as as, uh, uh, directors well I think there's a couple of things there I mean obviously there are loads of unsung heroes of, of a film crew and yeah. yes and so, too much weight is often played on the director and the star um and that's not to say that there aren't celebrity screenwriters you know there are people can still think of you know aaron Sorkin's probably the one that people think of as just yeah. a purely screenwriter though he has shifted, shifted into directing and like phoebe waller bridge who's an on-screen writing mm. presence who yeah. gets like brought in in a very like pop like a fronted like mainstream way yeah i would say that uh the thing with the director though is just that that is someone who is involved in the creative direction of that project, no pun intended, but the literally yeah. the creative journey of that project from the very, very beginning mm. to the very, very end and beyond. Whereas a screenwriter is really mainly involved in pre-production, possibly production, because I guess rewrites and things like that, but they are not involved in the whole process. It is, in, you know, a, a, screen, a, a screenplay, someone else said this once as a quote, it's like, there's an invitation to make a work of art. It's a blueprint. It's not the same as a novel that you're adapting. Filming it and putting it on camera and deciding how it's to be shot and how that story is told is a different thing. And, and it's also like, again, I'm not, we're not chilling on screenwriting. No, I mean, massive like, skill in there's, there's a difference. We use the word screenwriting. There's a difference between like writing a story, like films get adapted from novels, which is a different process to writing the screenplay yeah. and making it work for a film in 90 minutes or so yeah. and have it work and then yeah like directing which is going I see that story I hear that story here's what it's about here's, I, here's, here's the lens that I want to tell it through yeah. and here's what I want to explore with that idea it's, it is a different it's process also it's a technical skill screenwriting and the, and, and the, the reason the, the director is someone who comes in and it, you know the best directors will know how to synthesize the yeah. best of every single uh, skill that film requires yeah editing costume sound mm. lighting screenwriting performance yeah, everything. It's and, and and so unfortunately, it's not that I don't think screenwriters. Of course, they, they all the everyone needs more recognition, but it's yeah. like they are part of the the crew. This next email is from Olivia, who says, "Hey guys, smiley face. I hope you had a fab Halloween weekend. Mm. I for one did. I got to experience a film screening in a cave, which did, cool. which did not disappoint. Was it The Descent?" There was a variety of horror Halloween movies that was listed for limited screenings for this weekend at the peak at the Peak Cavern in Castleton, which is also known as the Devil's Ass. <laughs> Where do you? Uh, you literally it's also known as the Devil's Ass. That sounds like an Anchorman line. You literally cannot get more Halloweeny if that's even a word. If you tried, that place was like the Devil's Ass. What, uh, what did you? How, what, how did you spend your Halloween? It was up the Devil's Ass. I'm the devil's arm. Okay. Um, anyway, the atmosphere alone was amazing, and I would be deaf, and I would 
definitely be back to watch another screening. Me and my friend chose to go to the screening of The Addams Family, which I sadly did not see at the cinema when it was first screened. So to see a family favourite in a cave and share this experience with children and families watching it together for the first time... <laughs> Mommy, is we going to watch the film tonight. <laughs> the devil's ass. The devil's ass. Please, oh, really. please, we're British. Um, quite magical and brought back nostalgia. Would highly recommend to anyone if they get the opportunity to go down to the devil's ass. <laughs> but defo, bring blankets... My question is... The stones, like, vaguely resemble just like... No. Spreading it. it. My question is, where is the quirkiest, weird, wonderful, or even controversial place you have watched a film screening? Warmest regards, live in Manchester. And she has a picture of the devil's ass. <laughs> Look! Oh, my God. There I got it go. on here, yeah. Uh, what's the Brilliant. weirdest... The weird, quirkiest, weirdest weird, wonderful, or controversial, controversial, quirky. Here's a criteria: quirkiest, weird, wonderful, or even controversial place you've ever watched a film. I watched a film in a weird place. I've watched it on Screened. a bus ride. You know, yeah. I've coach. seen. I've said this before. I've seen. I've seen Ted, the Ted McFarlane <laughs> yes. film, but it, in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. I understood it, but it was entirely in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think I've seen films in weird places. I've obviously done secret cinema quite a few times, which is wonderful. Yeah, they can't be. I guess quirky. <laughs> I guess that's quirky. It's not yeah. weird or controversial. God, maybe I'm very normative with my screenings. Uh, where do where do things get screened? I'd love to go Beaches, to one of those car know, those car ones. Drive, I've seen a driver. I did yeah. that during COVID. I think that would be really I saw, nice. That was the only time I've seen Moulin Rouge. Oh, nice! That's, that's a, a great one. Speaker. For it. Yeah. Um, quirkiest or they do the um, the screen. I've not been to one, but there's the screen on the South Bank where they sometimes screen sports, but they do films there. I think controversial is when you tell me what, how Talia watched Glass Onion. Yeah. On a phone at whatever time in the morning in a oh. layover in Addis Ababa. And then she was like, yeah, I, was, I said, oh, it's great. You should watch it. And then she's watching it on her phone, going through Passport, stop, look Terrible. at this, security. And then she finishes it. I'm like, what do you think? She goes, yeah, I guess it was all right. And I'm like, well, yeah, how? No, you just... This last one is from Cameron, who writes in with a question. Are fans too involved in movie franchises? Hello, George and James. Firstly, love the show. I came to your pub quiz for the 100th episode, had That's a right. great time. I was the as advertised mega fan who arrived late. But I have to apologize. I rushed from work to get there. and was quite frazzled when I arrived. So I never really got the chance to properly say hi. So I thought I'd send an email saying that I think the podcast is great. Thank it was very know. funny and insightful, but always unassuming. And the impressions are hilarious. Cameron, I swear we did say hi no, to we you did very say briefly. Hi. I think he was saying more that he felt like he'd just arrived. So he yes, felt he okay. wasn't able to introduce himself properly. properly. But Cameron, I will say your whole table was great fun. Yeah. You were great. Great to meet remember, you. Yeah. Your table uh, went for the team name of George's Cup of Tea to yes. try and get that extra five points. Which didn't team work. Name. Didn't work. But I, but I, I, I cheered you when that name was read out yeah. because that's a great name and I, and I saw it and thank you. So we see you. We saw you. Cameron, thank you so much for coming and for listening. My question is, what are your thoughts on movie franchises with huge fan bases that in many ways try to dictate what the content and characters of a film should be? I'm talking about franchises like Marvel or Star Wars where fan theories and expectations are plentiful. My example is always The Last Jedi, which faced criticism as fans didn't get what they were expecting after months of speculation, and in particular for the slight reimagining of Luke Skywalker. Personally, I liked the film and didn't find the direction Ryan Johnson went with impossible to believe but i know many fans have predetermined expectations for these films and characters however in my opinion i think the story is the most important element to any film and the characters should service that but what are your thoughts do writers directors have a responsibility to the upkeep of fan expectation or is their duty more to the story and the message of the film they're trying to convey sorry for the hefty email big love cameron cameron two things on that first of all i do believe that 
you, as a director, you have a license. If you're, especially if you're adapting something, yeah. I don't care if you're adapting well-loved comics or whatever. Really, it needs to work as a film. Totally. It needs to work as a film first and foremost. If you're able to kind of give stuff for the for the fans, great. But like one thing that's great about the Dungeons and Dragons movie that came out this year is it's no so fun because necessary. no experience is necessary, and it doesn't hold doesn't hold you uh, as a as a non-player no. at a distance. It's actually able to bring you in. On the Last Jedi, thing, never isolated anyone. That's yeah. that's true. Um, on the Last Jedi, the thing is, it's like I think it got quickly dragged into a conversation about mm. the problem with this film is that it doesn't honor the fans and stuff. And I'm like, that actually misses the point. The problem no. with the Last Jedi is not about honoring the fans; it's just architecturally, it does not build and function well with the film that pre, pre uh, it, that comes before it, which is The Force Awakens. Yeah. If it was, I've said this before. If it was the first film in the trilogy, absolutely fine. But also, as a second film, it makes no sense. Also, yeah, it makes no sense because the, the Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, and frankly, the whole series, invites you as an audience to wonder questions to answers they ask in the first place. Yeah. It's like, who is Snoke? Yeah. Who is Rey? Which turns out to be mostly irrelevant or very disappointing. Yes. It's like, well, of course, you you made it seem like yeah. that was very important. You did these long, cryptic yeah. Dagobah cave sequences from Empire and like alluded to things and clones. It's like... Exactly. So that film, you invited me to get to get really into the, the conversation. Force Awakens goes, "Who's this? Who's that?" And then number the Force Awakens like, "Who is the girl?" Yeah. Screen wipes the next scene. So now I'm, I'm going, "Who's the girl? Who's then, the girl?" The Last Jedi. But, okay, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, but then the Last Jedi. That's why it's frustrating because the film basically yeah. goes like, "That doesn't matter." Yeah. Why? You, what? You, why are you even asking that question? That's the lightsaber that was like sacred. Yeah. As an entity, let's throw it over. Yeah. So like like oh. honestly. Loads of stuff that takes fans for granted. I, I think, I think when you say um, movie franchises with huge fan bases that in many ways try to dictate what the content of character film should be, I don't know if that. It's hard to say that if people are like literally dictating what it should be, but I think they're just they have expectations on what it should be because I think they know it really, really well. Mm. And that's I think the game you get into when you bring back IP from decades to gone that have been like adored for that long a time. People are going to be very protective over what you what you do to it. I do think. And I think protective. the internet does not help as a place no. for people to kind of be overprotective. No, but it, they all. It's like just they do, they do too much of it, and you just invite more problems. The more you try and do, and the more you touch a thing, the more fingerprints it has on it. Mm. Anyway, thank you very much for your emails this week. It was really, as ever, it's always a joy reading them out. The best. We'd love to hear from you guys. Like the pub quiz, it just it, it's lovely to remind you guys that you're out there listening to you're us. Out there. That's fantastic. James, shall we end this episode as we always do? With a game. Yes. George, it's episode 101. And as always, the, the, it's not going to change. Not, we're not changing the structure no. yet. Pulp Kitchen ends... With a game. Yes. Uh, today we're bringing back, uh, I don't want to say a favourite, because I think you, you have been wearied by this game, but I believe you're more than capable. Yes, you've I've played... always believed you're more yes, than capable. Yeah. This game is Co-Star Countdown. <sighs> this is a game where I'm going to choose the body of an actor's work. I will reveal the actor shortly. And then I'm going to read their co-stars. And every time I read a co-star, you have to tell me what film they were in together. George, do you understand the rules? I do. I hope everyone understands the rules at home. Please feel free to play along. George, today's actor, whose filmography we will go through, is none other than Emily Blunt. Right. Right? Okay. Now, before you just get all the films swimming in your head, yeah. we're going to start. So, George, George, you have to name me the Emily Blunt film based on her co-star. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. John Krasinski. Uh, the, a Quiet Place. Yes. Tom Cruise. 
Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, Mary Poppins Returns. Yes. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Jungle Cruise. Yes. Killian Murphy. A Quiet Place Part 2. Sure. Oppenheimer. And Oppenheimer, yeah. yeah. Benicio Del Toro. Sicario. Yes. Chris Hemsworth. Snow White and the Huntsman. Yes. Matt Damon. Um, the Adjustment Bureau. <laughs> yes. John Dame. Rupert Friend. Uh... The Young Victoria. Oh. Luke Evans. Beauty in the... No. No. She's not in that. No. I don't what know. on the what? Uh, the Girl on the Train. Uh, Last one. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep and Emily Blunt. Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that, was the, that was the easy one at the end. <laughs> That's good. It's a good one, isn't it? Uh, it's yeah, quite I, good. I don't know when we last played that. It's been a long a time. Ago. And I'm sure I probably was really moody and like, nah, I don't like it. <laughs> but I feel like I understand the game better. It feels like <laughs> yeah. I've never played it before. I know, it's, it's good. It's a good game. Do you have another one? No. <laughs> I could find another one. Uh, the Adjustment Bureau is one of those movies that's just been completely forgotten. Completely Loads forgotten. Loads of movies. It's almost like Matt Damon and Emily Blunt have been in movies together. Like, when? Apart from Oppenheimer. Yeah. yeah. But in... Um it, lots of 2011 movies I associate with being really forgetful, like forget forgotten. I think mm. Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah. What did that, was that, was that nominated? No, it was Ewan McGregor and Chris Scott Thomas and they were Salmon Fishing in the oh, Yemen. So it's a funny title, that's yeah. why. And uh, <laughs> of, of the skit of like the films that got gone, why does nobody remember Salmon Fishing in the Yemen? <laughs> I know. It sounds like a film you'd forget. <laughs> You've got like duck hunting in the Oasis. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and uh, the other one is Water for Elephants. Remember that? I, I remember that film. Yeah. Same, Rob, but yeah, it doesn't come up. Like when you think Robert Pattinson, it doesn't come up. When you think Christoph Waltz, it doesn't come up. Who's the who does Rob, who's in that? Reese Witherspoon. God, yeah. Like what? No one. Yeah, totally. That, that I, counts. I would have also said we bought a zoo, but my girlfriend loves that film. Really? And I, I've never seen it. And I look no. at it. And I go, really? There was, was when Matt Damon went more experimental than he currently is. Experimental. We yeah. bought a zoo was like big, broad family comedy. <laughs> yeah, but like for Matt Damon, it's like oh, he did he lots brought, of mean, different he things. Out. Yes, yeah. I see. He did the sci-fi movie. Yeah, he did the thing. Yeah, yeah. He was just yes, having sure. fun. Yeah, in Contagion, but like he was a small role. In yes, it. yeah. That's Matt Damon. That's 2012. But yeah, yeah. I'll accept it. There's a period. I'm taking. You a know, period. actually, I think it is 2011. Contagion. I will accept that. I think it's 2011. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Sorry, why am I such a stick over dates? Yeah, I know, it's, it's still one of your things. <laughs> we just let you go. <laughs> I've got one for you, James. Uh, okay. I'm going to give you... Oh, do you not want that? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine. Okay, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm going to give you a name seven in 30. Okay. okay. James. You need a timer. I do. <laughs> Otherwise you'd get all of them. <laughs> wow, didn't he do well? <laughs> he got 400. Uh, let's go for 30 seconds, which is the rules mm -hmm. of the game. Mm -hmm. James. Mm -hmm. In 30 seconds, name seven non-Harry Potter Daniel Radcliffe films. Go. Okay. You've got Horns. Yep. You've got um, Guns Akimbo. Right. You've got Swiss Army Man. You've got The Woman in Black. You've got um, uh, uh, the, the, the Lost City with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. You've got What If. And one more. One more. Ten seconds. Uh, 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 the Magic One. Uh, did you miss me? What's it called? No! <laughs> I can't remember. Did you see me? Now you see me. Oh, well see done. Me. Bang on time. Oh, well oh, done. God. Yeah, now you see... No, I actually... Now you see me. No, he's in Now You See Me too. Yeah. yeah but I will, I will accept that. Yeah. Well done. Because... 
yes, Fuck. you get the initial ones out of the way. Yes, but yeah. he's also done some 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 random. And all ones. really different. Did you say horns? You started with I horns. I did start with horns. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen horns. No, me neither. He but... also was in a film called Imperium, which is about a guy yeah. who like uh, right. yeah, like penetrates a far right group, and he like shaves his hair and has to get a tattoo. It's very yeah. intense. I did watch that actually. It's quite interesting. But um, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe, I I quite like his choices that he's done. He's really sort of shopped around and kept mm. and kept himself interested. I would also have accepted Trainwreck. He's in the. Do you remember he's in Trainwreck with all the dogs in the trailer? Yes. Yeah, fake trailer with Marissa yeah. Tomei. Yeah, yeah, I do remember. Is he, he plays himself in that. No, he, uh, he plays Daniel Radcliffe in a movie. Fine, okay. You know, starring uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Fine, anyway, fine. that guy's was a little game. We're we not going to do this. Oh, no, we can. Sorry. Yeah, you sure? Okay, George. I've got another game for you. This is a castless countdown. Okay. For anyone who doesn't know. Right. I'm going to read out the cast of a film. I like this. We've kind of batted it back and forth. Just, they're doing lots of things. Um, you have to tell me what film I'm talking about based on the cast. Yes. So I'll read out members of the cast. George, just tell me what film it is before I get to the last cast member. George, are you ready? I'm ready. This is castless countdown. You have to guess the film based on its cast. Ready? Three, two, one. John Bernthal. Mm. Brian Tyree Henry. Daniel Kaluuya. Okay. Michelle Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez. Colin Farrell. Um, Liam Neeson. Um, Elizabeth Debicki. Um, last one. Uh, Widows. Yes. Wow. Widows. Last one, Viola Davis. Yes. Yes. The um, Steve McQueen, McQueen one. Film. Which is... I, Bit of a forgotten film. Complete is my point why I raised it. Completely forgotten with a really top cast. You know what? That film got good reviews when it came out. Did you, no, 2018. Sorry. Did you go and see it? No. It's no, all, oh, not I've it? not seen it. And I've just realised. Like, I love Steve McQueen. And I, 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 it's got good you reviews. You missed out Robert Duvall as well, who's in there. Oh, he's not on the Googles. That's a shame. Wait, did, you, did you go on IMDb? Why are you trusting Google no, for? Google's useless. I shouldn't oh, even I didn't realise this was Google. your first episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. First time playing the game. Um, uh, yeah, actually, I'm pretty sure there's more. Um, Cynthia Erivo's yeah, in that Yeah, there's others, well. but I just for efficiency. Oh, I see. Fair enough. Well, yeah. The thing is with Widows is that. Is it good? Let, this is what I'm going to try to mm. tell you, James. <laughs> this is what I'm trying it's to podcasting. tell you. Uh, it's got a hell of a cast, mm. and it's got a hell of a good, like, good premise. And I just, it's not that gripping. I don't mm. know if like Steve McQueen made makes a good thriller. You know, like right. Shane's a really interesting character study. Twelve yeah. Years a Slave is like harrowing and beautiful and, and terrifying, and and then Widows. I just, I, I don't, I don't mm. know. It felt very cold. It never. It felt like the whole film felt better, like it was above getting its it, it, above getting its hands dirty as a thriller. Mm. When I'm like, you've got really good bones there, and I, I just yeah yeah I I I, and I I well there's a reason it's been forgotten. That's totally yeah. It speaks for itself. Mm. No one's walking around going. What a great film that was. Oh, Widows. Yeah, it's like, well, no. I chose it because it fits into that, like, yeah, that film category for Castless Countdown. And that's why it was that with a great cast, obviously. That's really the best kind of film we use for this. Yeah, yeah. Those are like the sweet spot. Um, There's a really good line in it, though, where <laughs> Robert Duvall says, hey, sorry, um, strong language coming in. Where he goes, hey, fuck you and the horse you rode in on. Nice. <laughs> it wasn't on a horse, I assume. No, it's, I guess it's, it's like your high horse. horse. Yeah, oh, gotcha. Yeah. Fuck you and the horse yeah, you yeah. rode in on. I haven't on. seen the film, so <laughs> could have been horses everywhere. And that's episode 101. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pop Kitchen. That's the reference. The yes, films. that's yeah. our Dalmatian episode. James, yeah. do you want to do a bit? Thank you so much for listening. 
We really appreciate you spending your time with us. Don't forget. Say it like you mean it. Posting new episodes <laughs> of the show. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, it's cool. Now, I've done 100, so it's like, it's whatever. Don't forget we post new episodes. He was joking, joking, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love, I love the podcast, I guess. Uh, every single Wednesday. And whether you're listening to this on a bus in Thailand oh, or yeah. flying over the Australian barren outback maybe you're just salmon fishing in the yemen maybe yeah or you're salmon fishing in the yemen please remember to like and subscribe follow us on instagram and tiktok and we really do we really do depend on it and, and it does, <laughs> does, we do we need no, totally, like, yeah. we absolutely do. and we really appreciate it like subscribe send in your emails comment on the videos share them put them on your story we yeah. really appreciate it and as ever thanks always for your listening i know something like 65 to 70 percent of you who are watching slash listening right now aren't subscribed What's up? Let's change that, guys. Come on. Do something good today. Press it now. Yeah. Do us a huge favor. It means that we can do cooler things and see more films. Yeah. Early. <laughs> more than that. That's why we do this. Yeah. Have a great week, guys. Um, we will be back next week. 102. Bye. Bye.